and turn to Psalm 97. Psalm 97. As we finish out this psalm this morning, Psalm 97. I appreciate Andrew beginning the psalm. And if you have your handout, you can go ahead and write down uh, point number whatever it is, number four, number one, whatever, uh, the devotion. And we'll pick up in verse number five, imagining, uh, get that mental picture of the Lord already on his throne, already there, already seated in his rightful place. And the first four verses uh, deal specifically with uh, where he is in his rightful place. Uh, We see how nature, the first four verses, uh, give exactly who he is, what he's done, uh, what he deserves. And we see the devotion, number one, the devotion in verse 5 through 9. But how do these things, all of how nature uh, speaks, letter A, uh, nature speaks, how does nature respond to his majesty, to his power, to his glory? How do they, we saw the first four verses, the earth melts, the earth trembles, all of those different things. But uh, nature speaks in verse number five. It says, the hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. Verse six, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. And when we think about nature surrounding us, we don't necessarily think of how it reacts to the Lord, uh, his creative ability. But over and over we see in Scripture how that the nature that we live among, where we live in this earth, that we live in this world, how nature responds to his power. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 4. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. He's the creator, Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The word consist means perform, function. He is the one that's keeping everything going this morning. I say, uh, Pastor, I don't understand uh, how uh, the earth spins and all these planets stay in orbit and they're not just flying out all over the universe. And I don't have to understand and you don't have to understand, but I'm sure glad that God does. And I'm sure glad that he understands and he has everything exactly according to his design. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? If he cares about the grass of the field and the flowers and he cares about uh, the birds, shouldn't he care for us? Uh, It's a rhetorical question that Jesus is asking, but he cares for us. He cares for his children. John 1.3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. See, he's the creator. We're just the creation. Uh, we don't have a say-so, church. And I don't know that's kind of uh, contrary to our world society and popular belief, but we don't get a say-so. Uh, we are just the creation. But because we're cre- here's creation, we're supposed to reveal his glory. Uh, We see that in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify not you but your Father which is in heaven. Uh, What we do today on planet earth is not to bring us glory, not to bring us praise, but it's to reflect who he is and what he does as the creator. We are to reflect his attributes. But here's the question. Are those around you seeing your works and pointing to you? 
or are they seeing him when they look at you? The things that you and I do from day to day, when we go to work tomorrow, and how we talk to our coworkers, or when we go home this afternoon, and how we talk to our kids at the lunch table, uh, how we behave in front of our wife, and how uh, people, our neighbors, see us, do they see you or do they see him? Because the Bible says that they're supposed to see him. They're supposed to see our good works, but they're supposed to be pointed at someone other than us. It's supposed to be directed at him. Thomas Boston said, again, the glory of one attribute is more seen in one work than in another. In some things, there is more of his goodness. In some things, more of his wisdom is seen. In others, more of his power. But in the work of redemption, all his perfections and excellencies shine forth in their greatest glory. The fact that he has redeemed us, that is what stands out. How a holy God would love an unholy mankind. How a holy God would love and send his only begotten son. Doing something that we would not do because of his great love for us. That's why we sing magnificent, marvelous, matchless love. It's because nobody loves like he loves. Because nobody does. And we've been redeemed for a purpose. And that purpose is not to have a happy life. That purpose is to bring Him glory. His purpose for our life is not so that you have a cushy experience. If that were the case, Jesus would have had a cushy experience. But He didn't. So we don't get that cushy experience. So we see that nature speaks, number one. Number two, we see in verse number seven that the wicked serve. The wicked serve. Look at verse number 7. Confounded be all they that serve graven images that boast themselves of idols. That boast himself. See, the wicked will see his glory and be confounded at that. Hey, you know, the gods that I'm serving, the things that I'm doing for myself, I don't understand the comparison. I don't understand how that he gets the glory and he does all these things, yet I'm serving these gods and I don't see all the handiwork that God does. I don't see that coming from them. I don't see all the things that I'm doing over here for myself and serving these false idols and I don't see how that they're not doing anything, yet God over here is on his throne and he's doing everything. I don't see the comparison. I don't see... How it takes place. The wicked see and are confounded. They don't understand his power. One of the most vivid displays of the power of God versus idols is found in 1 Samuel chapter 5. You remember the story? How that the Philistines came and they took the Ark of the Covenant. And they really brought it as a trophy piece. And said we're going to take it to the temple of our main God, Dagon. And we're going to set that Ark up, that trophy which we all know that the ark represented a whole lot more than just a piece of furniture. The ark represented the presence of Jehovah God. And they brought that ark, that piece of furniture, that golden chest, and they sat it right in front of Dagon, their false god. Big, tall, half man, half fish. Beautiful. <laughs> you know, uh, great creation. Uh, but remember, 1 Samuel chapter 5 Verse 2, when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it in the house of Dagon, set it by Dagon, 
And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. Somebody must have snuck in overnight. Pushed him over. Somebody must have done that. Imagine being the guy to share the message. Hey, uh, guys, we have a, a cleanup on, in Isle Dagon, you know. <laughs> cleanup at the temple this morning. Isle number one. First priority of business. And what did they do? And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. All right, hey, that's just a mishap. Maybe wind blew or you know, maybe somebody closed the door too fast, something. Somebody shook the ground, or earthquake, whatever. Next morning, when they rose early on the morrow morning, the next day, and we got Dagon in his place. Everything good? Yep, let's go to bed. Wake up the next morning, what happened? Behold, Dagon was falling upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Uh, we have a bigger cleanup this morning in the temple. All of a sudden, they have a bigger problem. Hey, our idol is now in pieces. But that's not the main point. The main point is their idol went to pieces in the presence of holy God. How often do we come into this temple loosely? And do we bow before His presence? How often do we come to pieces in the presence of our holy God? Are we living in light of His presence? The fact that we should, hey, bow before Him. And let me just say lovingly, nicely, if an idol will do it, why won't we? If an idol will bow to Him, the devils believe, James tells us, the devils believe and tremble. If the idols and the devils will do it, why won't we? We treat God like he's a trophy. Yeah, pastor, I got Jesus. woo I'm safe from hell. Hey, he's more than just a get-out-of-jail get or get-out-of-hell-free card. He's the Lord of all things. But what we saw here in verse number 7, we see... Dagon, comparison, no comparison. Verse 7, confounded be all they that serve graven images. Why won't our gods do the things that he does? Why won't my false god over here make the earth to shake and tremble and the hills melt and become like wax? Why won't they do that? It's really simple because there's only one. There's only one true God. And their gods are no match for the God. Remember Daniel chapter number 3. Remember Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. They're Hebrew given names. Remember Nebuchadnezzar said, I'll teach you boys. I'll throw you in the fiery furnace. And for not bowing down, I'll get you. What happened? Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. I like that King James word, astonished. Astonished. All right, he was astonished. It says, and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? Hey, didn't we, just, didn't we just throw three guys in there? And they answered and said, true, O king. Yeah, we, we, just three. One, two, three. Now, don't you remember the guys who threw them in because the furnace was so hot? They died. And he answered and said, lo, I see four men loose. We, we have a guy in one of those flame retardant suits in there uh, by some miracle. No. What happened? 
Four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Uh, how, how does a wicked pagan king recognize the Son of God? Because when you see Jesus, you'll know exactly who He is. When you encounter Him, you know exactly who He is. I wonder when we get to heaven if we'll know who Jesus is. Oh, I promise there will be no doubt. Uh, just look for all the people bowing down on their face and you'll find Jesus. He is like no one else. And all he looks for is someone to reflect his glory in front of others. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to reflect who he is and what he does? We see that nature speaks and wicked serve. But number three, we see that the righteous should salute. Verse number eight and nine said, Zion heard and was glad. The people, the place of God, the people of God, they heard and they were glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of thy judgments, O Lord. For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou, thou art exalted far above all gods. Remember, we talked last week about how that the Jewish people had come back from Babylonian captivity after being gone for 70 years and how they were back and they had a newfound passion for God. After not having Him, not uh, being in a place where they were exalting Him for seven, 70 years, they had a revival within their hearts. They had a renewed commitment to Him. They wanted nothing to do with their former way of living. They wanted nothing to do with the way that uh, it was in Babylon. Prophets like Ezra and Nehemiah got up and simply read the Bible. And people wept. Read the scripture. Read the law. Read the expectation from God to his people. Their commitment to him. And they wept. And think about the fact when you read Ezra, they read for hours this was not just a, all right, let me give you a 10-point devotional, and then we're all going to go back to the house and have fried chicken for lunch. No, no. This was, we're going to read for hours. There's no commentary. This is Ezra reading. That was it. We're simply reading the Scripture. And they were convicted in their hearts. They saw who he was. And even more importantly, they saw who they were. In comparison to who he was. We have betrayed the holy God of the universe. We have forsaken him. And you think about for the vast majority of the last 2,000 years. The Jewish people have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. For the vast majority of time. But here in verse number 8 and 9. We're looking ahead in time. We're looking at what will be not the way things are zion heard and was glad the daughters of judah rejoiced for thou lord art high above all the earth when does that happen when jesus sits down on his throne on earth hey there will be no bickering on that day of who's in charge because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what makes it so significant. And we today are supposed to be living in light of that day. 
Hey, we don't have to worry and mumble and complain. And, and man, what's going to happen with the election? And uh, who's going to get elected? And uh, what's going to happen to my retirement? And what's going to happen to my work? Hey, we have a king on the throne this morning. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that he's not the rightful king of the universe. And he is still on his throne. We just can't see it yet. Remember when he went back to heaven, he ascended back. What did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God the Father. How can he sit down? Because he deserves that seat. Not us. Hey, he's not sitting in our spot. And he's not sitting where we rightfully belong. He is sitting in his seat. He's the only one that deserves to sit there. And we get to reflect who he is. Why? Because he is high above all the earth. Verse number 9. Thou art exalted far above all gods. And a day is coming when all that will be visible for the entire world to see. But what about now? How are we living right now? Tim Keller said, the secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin is worship. You need worship. You need great worship. You need weeping worship. You need glorious worship. And then he said this, you need to sense God's greatness and be moved by it. Moved to tears and moved to laughter. Moved by who God is and what he has done for you. And this needs to be happening all the time. All the time. Hey, why? Why can we sit back and say, you know what? I don't need to know what the elections, what's going to happen. Hey, because I promise you, it does not matter who is sitting in the White House because we still have a king on the throne. And that will not change. Hey, the election results will not change that fact. He is still sovereign. He's still God. He's still the Lord. And no matter what we do, we'll, nothing will change that. He is king. When we think about what is what worship looks like. We look at worship in the Bible. What's it connected to? Every time you see worship in the scripture, you see sacrifice. Sacrifice. I remember in Genesis chapter 22, in verse number 5, the first time, law of first mention, law of hermeneutics, law of first mention, we see the first time the word worship is used in the Bible. And what's the picture? What's Abraham getting ready to do? He's getting ready to go up on top of Mount Moriah and kill his son. Worship. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Uh, Genesis 22 verse 5. Abraham said unto this young man. Abide ye here with the ass. And I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And come again to you. 2 Samuel 24 verse 24. And the king said unto Rana. This is remember when David has come back. And he said man I've got I've to worship God. I've got to set aside before the end of my kingdom. I've got to worship the Lord. Everything's been restored and I've been forgiven and I've repented of my sin and this is the end of my kingdom. And I could take it easy and say, man, I'm going to look back at the glory days of how I worship God and how he spoke to me out on the hillside and how the Lord was my shepherd back then. But David looked and said, i got to worship him right now at the very end of my life, not just at the beginning of my life because it's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's how you finish. And it says in 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, remember David walks up as the king, goes to Arana's house, and the king said, remember, he said, I, I want to buy this parcel of land. And Arana, smart man, said, hey, your highness, you don't, you don't have to pay for anything. You're the king. You can have it. What a great opportunity. Hey, this is buy none, get it all free. 
What does David say? Nay. No. Not doing that. But I will surely buy it for thee at a price. Hey, there has to be a price for worship. If I'm going to worship, it's got to cost something. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. It's got to cost. See, our problem is that we want to worship God with it costing us nothing. Hey, I want to reflect God's glory, but I don't want people to make fun of me at work. Hey, I, I, want, to, I want to serve the Lord, but I don't want my family to think I'm crazy. I want to make sure that everybody that I come in contact with knows that I'm a follower of Jesus, but I want to be comfortable. You need to pick one of those because both of them are not happening. Serving the Lord involves sacrifice. Worshiping Him. See, cheap and easy worship was never worship in the first place. It doesn't happen that way. We wrongly assume that coming to church, just because I come into church and sing some songs and get up and listen to some guy tear up the Bible for 30 minutes, that we have had worship. No. Nothing could be further than the truth. See, worship requires preparation, purification, and praise to the one who's worthy of it all. When I come in on Sunday morning, I ought to come in prepared to worship. And worship on Sunday begins on Saturday. Hey, I'm preparing myself to worship. And we ought to get in the mind front, mindset of, hey, tomorrow I'm going to meet God. Man, what do, I want, what do I want to look like? Last night I set out my clothes. I ironed my shirt. I picked out, I didn't pick out my tie, but Michelle picks that out. Uh, but I, I, I picked out everything. Picked out my socks, the shoes, and belt. Had everything ready because I'm going to church. But think about the fact, we'll prepare our clothes, but will we, will we prepare our hearts? Will I sit back and say, man, I'm going to be in the presence of a holy God. Am I ready for that? Have I done anything to prepare my heart? Or am I just coming to church on Sunday morning, going through the motions, and I'm screaming at my wife and screaming at my kids, and, and then tell them, hey, don't you tell anybody what I said on the way to church this morning. People need to think that we're holy. Worship requires preparation. Worship requires purification. When God says, hey, you know that, that, that word that you said at work this week around your buddies? You might want to confess and forsake that. You know those things that you did and those thoughts that you had and those places you went and those people you spent time with? You might want to confess and forsake that before you come into my, my house. You might want to prepare yourself. You might want to purify yourself. We had communion last Sunday, after, uh, last Sunday morning in the service and came before the Lord's table. You wouldn't dare go home this afternoon after you shook 400 people's hands and walk in and say, all right, I'm going to pick up this bread with my hands. Your wife's going to say, you go right over to the sink. And you wash all that howdy off your, sin, off your hands. That's what we used to say growing up. Well, I'm going to wash all the howdy off. All right? You know what howdy is? Okay, all right. A howdy. Uh, not howdy duty. Okay, howdy. 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 Now, walk, wash all the fellowship off. Okay? Uh, before you come down. Be clean. Worship requires preparation, purification. But it also requires praise. It requires praise. Hey, I'm not just coming in and just listening to the music team sing. I'm here, Pastor. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, 
Worship requires praise. Uh, Pastor, does it require praise on your part? No, it requires praise on your part. Hey, if you've been set free from sin, he deserves your praise. Uh, Just side note, if you've not been set free from sin, he still deserves your praise. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Everything. That means saved and unsaved. Everything deserves his praise. We see, number one, that that decision. There is, there is, number one, a devotion. But then, number two, lastly, this morning, we see, hey, you come to church, and when there's two preachers, you get two points. That's it. Some of y'all are like, man, pastor needs two preachers every week. Uh, but the distinction, we see the distinction. Look at verse 10 through 12, the end of the psalm. There are two distinct patterns of behavior on display. And we should see distinction, number one, in our behavior. And when it comes to worship, we should. I mean, think about it. We should be different. We should be different. Hey, we should. The people of God should look at coming to church a little bit differently than the world does. Uh, we should be different, distinct. You think about with these two patterns, verse 10. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. That's pretty profound right there. If we love him, we hate the other side. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 and 14. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We We love him. Verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Zealous unto good works. Hey, we're supposed to be excited about living for him. Excited about serving him. Excited about bringing him honor and glory. That should be our testimony. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation of peculiar people. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to. Even the word for church in the Bible means that we're separate from everything else. Even that word. When Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock I'll build my church. He was talking about people who were different, who were called out. Ecclesia, a called out assembly. Different. He's talking about that called out group. We've been called out. We've been separated. Those who are distinct. It's kind of like going to a restaurant. You're getting mixed signals. You know, you ever gone into a restaurant and you know exactly what the sign says on the, on the building. You know exactly what the sign says outside. And you, you know exactly what the menu looks like. You know exactly what you're in for. Hey, I'm going into Chick-fil-A. I'm going into Chick-fil-A. All right? So I'm... Going into Chick-fil-A, y'all. I can wear the shirt with the best of them. It's a little snug. (laughs) I shouldn't have been to that other place yesterday. Get there in a minute. Sean, I shouldn't have come yesterday. My pleasure. See, I'm ready. Qualified. All right, my pleasure. All right. Go to Chick-fil-A. You walk into Chick-fil-A, you expect to see somebody behind the counter wearing a Chick-fil-A shirt, Chick-fil-A hat, looking like a Chick-fil-A employee, talking like one. All right? But what would it be like 
If you went in Chick-fil-A and somebody's wearing this outfit instead, where family is everything, because the T-shirt says so. Imagine you going into Chick-fil-A ready to get your chicken sandwich. And instead of Chick-fil-A employee, my pleasure, you get the Taco Bell employee. You know, you get the Taco Bell employee. How may I serve you? And immediately when you walk up to the counter, you're like, am I in the, am I in the right place? Am I in the right store? Am I, am I in the right restaurant? Y'all got chicken here, you know? Because when we go into a certain place, we expect a certain thing. We expect a certain result. And when I go into a Chick-fil-A, I expect to see a Chick-fil-A employee that looks like a Chick-fil-A employee take an order off the Chick-fil-A menu. I don't go into Chick-fil-A and say, I'll have the $5 meal box. Because the Chick-fil-A employee is going to say, we don't have that here. We don't have a $5 meal box. You should. But don't we have... <laughs> talk to the powers that be on that one. Hey, we don't have that here. This is not Taco Bell. This is Chick-fil-A. My pleasure to serve you. If you don't want to hear that, go to Taco Bell. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Love you, Sean. Uh, but think about the world looks at us and says, oh, you call yourself a Christian? Why don't you act like one? See, I see what you're saying. But I'm getting a totally different picture in my mind of what you say. You go to church with that mouth? With that lifestyle? What kind of church wants you at their church? And I know it's a simple illustration, but here's the bottom line truth. If we say it, let's live it. Let's be consistent. How in the world do three years ago the church gets labeled non-essential? Because we're living like we want to rather than the way he wants us to. That's the difference. When I go into Chick-fil-A, I should see a Chick-fil-A and I should get the Chick-fil-A experience. If I want Taco Bell, I go to Taco Bell like I did yesterday and it was good. Uh, hence the tight t-shirt, it was good. What would you have, Pastor? None of your business. Uh, so too much. That's what I had. Too much. $5 meal box. Too much. But I did give away the cinnamon twist. Uh, so, but you think about, are we consistent in what we say that we are? Hey, a called out assembly means something. If you are a part of the church, you should be like the church. Hey, that doesn't mean that you have to be like me. Let's stop right there. Being like the church is not being like the pastor. And living like, hey, let's, let's just go ahead and kill that sacred cow right now. Hey, because you don't have to stand before me on judgment day. You're not going to give an account to the pastor on judgment day. You got somebody a whole lot bigger than the pastor that you got to stand for.
So it's not about being what the pastor says or being what the deacons say or being what so-and-so down the row says. Hey, it's about being who God says and living like He. See, we're confused when we go to a restaurant that has different attire on their employees. I asked Sean to get me that Taco Bell shirt. He handed it to me. I'm like, that doesn't look like a Taco Bell shirt. That's our new shirt. I'm used to the old shirt. How? Because I've been there a couple times. None of your business. (laughs) When we think about consistent behavior in our walk with the Lord, we should be like Him, not like us. Remember 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. Separate, different, distinct, called out. God is looking for His people to have consistency, not just on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, all throughout the week. What makes you different, church? Hey, let's just be real this morning. What makes you different than your lost coworkers? What makes you stand out? Oh, pastor, I don't cuss like they do. But here's the thing. Just because you don't cuss doesn't make your heart clean. There are secret sins. And we don't have to go down a list because we all know what they are. There are secret sins that nobody knows about. We need a clean heart. We see that there is distinction in our behavior, but then lastly we see there is also a distinction in His beauty. Look at verse 11 and 12 and we'll be done. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. Andrew mentioned Psalm 96 verse 10. I want to draw our attention to Psalm 96 verse 9. Right before that. I thought you were going to dance on my verse. It says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Do you know there is something beautiful about something that's perfect? Something beautiful about purity. Purity. Fear before Him, the Bible says, all the earth. You would think that the psalm would end on because of all the things that the earth does and how people should respond and how we're supposed to be distinct. You would think that the psalm would end and say, give thanks to the remembrance of His might or His power, of His authority. But what does it say? Give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. His holiness is the thing that sets Him apart from everyone else. He's holy. Completely perfect. Jerry Bridges said, As we grow in holiness, we grow in hatred of sin. And God, being infinitely infinitely holy, has an infinite hatred of sin. 1 Samuel 2 verse 2, There is none holy as the Lord. There is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or way of living, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. See, we see that, we're, that he's holy, but we're also to be challenged to be like him. Above all powers, above all kings. John Flavel said, Christ is so in love with holiness that at the price of his blood, he will buy it for us. He is so in love with holiness that at the price of his blood, he will buy it for us. See, he didn't just die so that we could be saved. He died so that we could be 
holy. Just like he is. That's why he came. But what is it about your life that makes you holy? Are you doing anything to be holy and reflect who he is? Or are you focused on who you are? As long as I get dressed up on Sunday and as long as I look the part on Sunday for the pastor and other people in the church to see me, I'm good. Hey, the pastor's not going home with you on Sunday afternoon. The pastor doesn't come and peek in your windows on Monday night. Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? No, no. Hey, I don't have to go home with you. I don't have to follow you. Because God sees everything. Are you holy in His sight? Maybe you're here this morning and you're lost. You don't know that Jesus is your Savior. Hey, could I challenge you this morning? That is your need today. You don't need a, hey man, I need a new Bible or I need a devotional book or I, I need some more music. Hey, if you don't have Jesus, you need Him. Plain and simple. Step number one is Jesus. Once you get Him, we'll talk about the next steps. But do you need Jesus? He is holy. He is righteous. We are not Therefore, we need him. Do you have him this morning? And then number two, if you do have him, what are you doing to reflect his holiness to those around you in your life? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Now this morning, very simple. Music team's going to come and they're going to sing that song above all. We've already sung it. We're going to sing it together. But are we singing it like we mean it today? Are we singing it like we are recognizing his holiness his majesty, His perfection, His power? Are we living it in our day-to-day lives? When you go to work tomorrow, are you going to be living His holiness? Are you going to be living who He is, what He does? Maybe you are, maybe you're not. But hey, that doesn't happen by accident. That's a choice. This morning, would you simply talk to the Lord about what He's talking to you about in your life? Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, hey, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I don't even know what that means. Or maybe you're like I was when I was in high school and you've grown up in church your entire life and you know what it means, but you haven't applied it to your life. Maybe that's your testimony. Could I encourage you? Hey, our personal workers are all around the room, some down front, some behind you in the back. They're wearing badges that say, how can I pray for you? Because they're here to help you in your walk with the Lord. And if you need him today, hey, we would love to invite you to our Savior. Invite you to meet our Savior. And maybe that's what your need is. Maybe you're living a double life. Maybe you're inconsistent in your behavior. One way on Sunday at church and totally different Monday through Saturday. You live for Him on Sunday, but live for you the rest of the week. That is not what He has called and designed us to do. He's called us to be consistent. Be holy as I am holy, He said in His Word. Are you living a lifestyle of holiness? Because remember, you're not going to stand before your spouse or your pastor or your friends one day and give an account. You're going to stand before that holy God. And how we measure up to Him is what we're talking about this morning. We fall short, but Jesus is the one that makes the difference. Would you simply talk to Him this morning? I'm going to be right down front. If you need to talk to someone, pray with someone, we're here for you. Whatever your spiritual need is this morning. Simply talk to Him. And if you make a decision, we would love to encourage you, challenge you with that decision. Father, please bless as only you can. Speak to hearts. If there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, please draw them. Help them to see their need of salvation, that they're a sinner in the sight of a holy Savior 
And that Jesus came to die on the cross for their sin. If they'll simply ask him to forgive them and trust him, that he will save them. Because that's who you are. That's your promise from your word. That's not a Baptist thing. That's a Bible thing. That's your word, your promise, your commitment. We know that you cannot lie. Lord, I ask that you please help that person, whether in the room or watching online, help them to call out to you for salvation. And Lord, for those who are not where they need to be spiritually, maybe there's a step that they need to take or a recommitment needs to be made. Lord, help them to talk to you this morning. Help them to settle that in their heart and change who they are. Lord, help them to recommit who they are to you. We love you. Thank you for loving us and being above all things because of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please. We're going to sing that song, Above All. Above all powers, above all kings. Let's sing it together. The team's going to lead us. Let's sing it out. And if you need to come and pray or speak to someone, you do that right now.
Thank you so much. You can be seated. Let me give you just a couple of announcements really quickly as we're getting ready to dismiss. Thank you, team, uh, for singing this morning. I love singing about who He is above all, above all. And uh, thankful for a holy God this morning, and I hope that you are as well. Uh, let me just give you a couple things. A couple of people have asked, Pastor, what is the deal with all this wood on the stage? Um, we are getting ready to have our men's conference. It's called Makaira Men's Conference, August the 4th and the 5th. And we have 250 men who are already registered uh, for this conference, and we're looking forward to that. Uh, and we announced that because today is the deadline to register. Even if you're not one of our guys, we have about 10 other churches in our community locally that are coming uh, and are bringing groups. Uh, so even if Crossroads is not your home church, we would love for you uh, to come. It's on our website, right on the homepage. Scroll down, Makaira Men's Conference. You'll see it there listed. Uh, but today, today is the deadline. Cost of $60, and that covers your meals. We're having ribeye steak. Thanks. 